All right, hopefully that music doesn't make anybody want to fight, okay? No fights in the church parking lot today. Um, so we've been in a season of wrestling, and uh, I hope it's not just the teaching series that we're doing. Um, my hope is that this is so much more um, than just a few sermons that for some of us, it unleashes us into a season and even maybe permission um, to wrestle with God, to go there, you know, with Him and and uh, not arrogantly, not, um, not disrespectfully, but in a real, in a very raw, in a very honest way. God wants us to bring all of our stuff to him. And so uh, if you're online watching us today or if you're here, um, that's kind of my hope and prayer is that, uh, is that we'll, we'll be able to um, open up um, to God in that way. Now, we see a lot of people in the storyline of the scriptures, okay? Uh, they, they wrestle with God. And they did so in ways that are very similar to ways that we wrestle with God and for the same reasons that we wrestle with God. And so today, we're going to look at this guy named Job, okay? And I think he embodies wrestling with God um, just about as much as anybody in the whole, uh, uh, in the whole scriptures. Now, now, maybe you've never read the book of Job. You probably have at least heard of him. Uh, but I want to give you the Cliff Notes version real quick because it's a long book in the Bible. And... We're going to look at bits and pieces um, and, and see how God deals with this wrestling um, uh, with, with, with Job. And so Job, he wrestles essentially with the issues of suffering. Bad things happen. He has questions, and he wants answers. Now, if you've ever been in a place of suffering, which I think you have, okay, even if you're a kid or if you're elderly and anywhere in between, you have probably gone through different and various degrees of suffering. Mentally, okay? I think emotionally you've been really hurt or let down. <clears throat> Physical suffering, you've been sick. Uh, disease, uh, someone um, that you know uh, died. Spiritual suffering. And you probably wanted answers too. And some of our questions, they look like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or why me? Or why a child? Or what did I do to deserve this? And those are real and raw and honest questions that if we don't say out loud, we probably have all thought at some point or the other. Now, our questions could go on and on and on, right, with, with our long list of questions. But, but this was Job, okay? This was this guy named Job. Some believe that Job was the uh, earliest recorded book in the Bible. So that means, if that's true, that the story of creation that was written down um, uh, by Moses uh, potentially after the book of Job was written. And so if that's true, that means that this question has been on the hearts and minds of people longer than any other question. It's why. Why God? And if you ever ask that, uh, I just want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, this question goes back a long way. So here's the story of Job. Okay, I'm going to summarize bits and pieces of it. We'll get into a few of the passages. But Job, <clears throat> it starts out, was a righteous man. He was a good guy. He was one of the good guys. And so that's important because uh, that's setting up for the rest of the story of Job. Like Job wasn't some punk, okay? He wasn't some, uh, some jerk. It, this was Job. He was the, the good guy, and he, this was genuinely true. It, the scripture says he was blameless, he shunned evil, and he feared the Lord. 
Also, we learned some other things about Job. He was rich, okay? So he's, he's balling. Uh, he had a lot of family. <clears throat> he essentially had it all. He was that guy. Like, he, he just was living life. He was living good. He, had, uh, he uh, was living that, um, that good life. And, and then, as the story progresses, bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happens. You, know, you probably know some of the story. Um, one after another, he loses all of his livestock, and that was his wealth. You know, he was very wealthy. He, he lost all of it. He lost his servants. And then, in, in bad calamity, he lost his children in this tragedy. And, and so he goes from a guy who has it all to losing it all. And, and it seems that it can't get any worse, right? In Job's misery, misery but then it gets physical, okay? So then he's afflicted with, with sores over his, from head to toe. And so not only does he have all the emotional pain and wreckage, he also has the physical um, pain. And his wife, um, who seems to be the only one in his family who's still alive at this point, she basically says, hey, look, curse God and die. <laughs> Why are you still hanging on to hope? So then, because of all of Job's suffering, <clears throat> three of his good friends, all right, they come, they come, they travel from afar to console him, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, all right, so name your kids the, that, how about that? Um, and th- they mourn with him, and check this, there's no speaking for seven days. They come, and his, he, he is so wrecked, he is so messed up, they, just, they have no words to say, they just sit for seven days to mourn with him. Then Job breaks his silence, and that's where we're going to um, open up today, Job chapter 3. And it says, uh, uh, verses 1 through 4, it says this, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and and that night that said, A boy is conceived, uh, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. So what we see here is some honest, raw emotions, right? Like Job, he's hurting, he's struggling, and he, he, he's wished he had never even been born at all. So Job is laying it all out there. And then verse 26, uh, he, he goes on for a while. Verse 26, he says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. This is depressing, right? And if you read just the, the, the account of Job and just his <clears throat> response... You're left there, right? Now, Job and his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, for the next 34 chapters of this 42-chapter book, they, and another guy named Elihu kind of randomly gets thrown in there, but they're going to try to sort all this out, okay? And so 34 chapters is a lot of scripture to cover, and so there's no way we can get through that much. So I just want to uh, make it super simple and summarize it um, with this. Job and his friends try to explain God's suffering. We do that too, don't we? When something bad happens or when someone comes to you with something, we're so quick, we want to just go with answers, right, and responses. And, and the conversation essentially goes in these waves or these cycles, so three cycles uh, to be exact. And so it's like friend one talks and Job responds, friend two talks and Job responds, friend three responds and, uh, or talks and Job responds. That's one cycle. That goes three different cycles in 34 chapters of Scripture. And so Job isn't just wrestling with God. He's also wrestling with his friends, isn't he? He's also wrestling with his wife. 
So we can boil a lot of their thinking down this. Now, there's a bunch of different um, nuances and different, different things that these friends were teaching, but we can boil a lot of it down to this. Job, what have you done to deserve this? See, from their point of view, now, and they represented a lot of the wisdom of the day, okay, that God is just, and he rules the world with justice, therefore, Job, you must have done something terrible. Over and over, they grill Job, like their only real conclusion is you deserve this, Job. Nine different times in 19 chapters, uh, Job, he fights back, he's wrestling, you know, he, he's responding each time um, they accuse him. And then when they, um, <clears throat> when, then they finish all of their talking or yapping, whatever, the real wrestling begins. Let's read part of God's response to Job and all the conversations and see how it strikes you. Job 38, verses 1 through 3, it, the, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans with, with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Uh-oh, right? Job, like all this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then remember, Job was a righteous man. And, but here it all of a sudden gets real because God, uh, the voice of God through a storm, it enters the storyline and then it gets real, Right? And you can almost hear Job say, whoops, too far. Then he continues, all right? He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Insinuation, what? You you weren't there. Uh, Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And so, since Job, you, uh, uh, you seem to be prepared to face me and accuse me of injustice, tell me, <laughs> oh wise one. And so God is, God is throwing some, some sarcasm, right? Obviously, the answer is no. Job wasn't there. God was. It, uh, it was at this point, Job realized who he was talking about. Then down in verse 16, this continues, okay, for two chapters. <clears throat> uh, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? And God says, have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. So like completely intimidating, right? Like, God goes there with Job. He, he lays it out. He's challenging Job's perspective on things, and rightfully so. And, and this is what Job needs to hear at this moment. And this might be what we need to hear at this moment as well. He starts with the physical universe. You know, don't we, we take a lot of pride in the physical universe, right? And we're just here. You know, we just happened, and it was already here. We take so much pride in our knowledge and our understanding and we discovered the atom and the pieces that make up the atom. You know, we, we can break down cells and explore uh, so much of the universe. And, and, and in the midst of, of how smart we as people could be, God gets a little snarky, right? Oh, well, you know so much. Tell me about the things that I created. And that goes on for two chapters, okay? 
Remember, not too long ago, Job had just been beating his chest, demanding an explanation. And Job answers. Eventually, Job finally gets a chance to respond. God says, hey, anything else to say, Job? And here's, what, here's all Job can say. He says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. So that was, that was his way of saying, whoops. Okay. And see, Job wasn't alone in this, was he? It, he and his friends and his wife, everyone had some of their own advice going, going every which way, right? Everyone has wisdom that they want to throw um, our way, don't they? But I just want to challenge you, church, that this is why we need godly people in our lives who are, who are not throwing lies at us, who aren't even throwing half-truths at us, but are okay with telling us the truth. And that's what we need in our life. That's what Job really needed. Now, how often do we behave like Job and step, in so, step out so confidently in our understanding of what should or shouldn't be? Who God is, who He isn't, what God is, what He isn't, what expectations we have for life and wisdom and even justice. But God's like, no, I define those things. Then the Job speaks up, right? Then the next two chapters are God responding again. Now, it sounds like God is being a bully, okay? I, I get it. It sounds like God is being a cosmic bully, not in an unfair, unhealthy way that we think of bullying today, but, but he's really intimidating, right? But let's not forget about Job's suffering. Because after all, I mean, he's the one who went through the ringer, right? He's the one whose heart is broken. He's the one who lost everything that he had. And, and, and is God minimizing his circumstances? And here's, here's part of Job's final response in Job 42, verses 2 and 3. Um, he says, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. It's weird, right? When we see Job wrestling with God and because we just looked at Moses last week and we looked at Jacob two weeks ago and <laughs> this looks way different, doesn't it? Because it seems like Moses didn't get beat up on. Uh, Jacob kind of got worked over a little bit, but not, not in this sense, right? And so it's weird when we see uh, Job getting worked over. After all, Job was the one who's justified in his pain. Things were, went wrong, and, and we, we have far less things go wrong in our lives. And how often are we to accuse God or question our faith? Now, I don't think, I don't think Job should intimidate us. I don't think that Job should his story should keep us from wrestling with God. I think it invites us into that because in a sense, we are all Job, okay? Like Job represents your story. Job represents your pain and your brokenness and all the things that have gone off course from how you think your life should go. And when you experience suffering and pain, you see stuff around you in this world that, that, that makes you question. Like we are invited to take it to God, but we also have to be prepared to experience God for who he is. And so I, here's what I want to do. I want to point out three things. 
three lessons um, uh, out as we wrestle with God, these lessons from Job. The first one is this. I have a limited perspective, and so do you. And that's something we need to know, right? I mean, we know this, but man, we, we might need to declare this, that, that I don't know everything there is to know about everything. But maybe there is someone who does. So where can this wisdom be found? You know, I mean, we, we put a man on the moon. <laughs> you know, we, we, we cure diseases. But, but wisdom, <clears throat> despite our best efforts and our best minds, can't truly be, find, be found apart from God. Now, we can't talk a whole lot about the whole book of Job. But Job, 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 <laughs> Job is written in poetic fashion, okay? And, and right in the middle, right at a climax of the story, it takes a break from the storyline. And the chapter 28 is, is a treasure. It's like a gem hidden right there in the middle of the book that everything points towards. And it's about true wisdom. Our wisdom is limited. God's is not. And he kind of answers what we're searching for, that the wisdom that we seek for every question in life, it can't just be found. Only God truly knows is the one who's all wise. And so we have a limited perspective. And that's simply not good enough for us, though, right? Because when you're suffering, you want an answer. But God in his speeches, he makes a clear case. That Job and his wise friends, by the way, that's you and the best wisdom that humanity has to offer, that our perspective is limited. And true wisdom is ultimately found in God alone. And, and see, God has unlimited wisdom. That's the good news in the story is, is while we are very limited in our perspective, that God has unlimited perspective and unlimited wisdom. And just when we think things are bad, just when you're scared or tired or mad at your situation, uh, just when we think 2020 is bad, we can look around us and see that we do not see at all. So the first one is about our perspective. It's, it's, it's limited. The second thing I want us to know as we wrestle with God is, is to know this. Human suffering has no easy answer. Like there, there's no simple answers to some of the things. I mean, sometimes the answer might be because you did something dumb, okay? But a lot of times human suffering has no easy answer. God's not obligated to explain all things to us, and and this is one of the things that you might have to wrestle with God actually over. Like, why God? Why why don't I know? And not knowing might be part of your suffering, and it's a journey that God invites us on. You know, like, that's one of the the experiences that God wants with us is to be with us in the good and the bad and everything in between. Like, he's okay with that because he has a completely different perspective. So human suffering has an easy answer. See, Job needed, he needed friends that were true, but he needed friends that knew God. Like, they were true friends. They, They traveled great distances. They they came and sat with him for seven days and mourning. They spent hours and days discussing with him, but they ultimately led Job in the wrong direction. And so if your friends are hurting, don't, don't say dumb things to them in their pain. You know? 
But we can take what Job's friends did, the things they got right. They showed up. They listened. And so we can provide a framework to deal with our pain and our questions, that there are no easy answers and, and that our perspective is limited, okay? And the, the third thing, the last thing I want to point out as we wrestle with God is this. In the midst of our wrestling, God alone provides true hope. That God's the one that provides hope. And as Job resolves, as the story ends, you, it, it resolves itself. God blesses Job. His life untangles from all the pain and misery. And uh, did it take all of his pain and scars away? No. I'm assuming it did not. But Job did experience God's blessing. That included provision and happiness and peace. And so if you struggle with questions or pain, why God? Why this? Why me? Um, I know you want the hope and the promise of renewal. Like, God doesn't enjoy our pain. God doesn't, um, he's not laughing as we struggle. He doesn't want things off course from his will. And he's not smiling when you have questions or even when you're angry at him. But God instead gives us hope that transcends the pain that we're in. He, he tr hope that transcends, that's bigger, that's greater, that lasts longer uh, than what we feel. And it's why we can see people who are terminally ill, they still can find hope in Jesus. It's why we can see people born with debilitating birth defects, they can still celebrate and ha still have hope. It's why we see people who, who have lost someone that their whole life was built around uh, and their world has been shaken, they can still have hope in that situation. And we may experience those glimpses of hope here, right? But I think one of the best pictures and the best stories of the Bible is the hope that we have in the future. And there's a little glimpse of heaven. I love this. And I think we kind of need to be reminded of it because sometimes things can be so bad here, right? But Revelation 21, 3 through 5, uh, John sees this vision of heaven. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will wipe away uh, all their, uh, the, every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Everything made new. Like, we should long for that. Like, don't fall too in love with this world the way as it is, because one day it's going to be made new. It's going to be better. It's going to be perfected. It's not going to be stuffy and boring and stale. There's going to be no more suffering or death or crying, no more things that, that makes us ask God why. And, and we see the most important and beautiful part of that is that God's dwelling is now with his people. And see, there's something special in suffering that we can see, even as you go through it today, is that God wants to be there with you in that. God is with his people. Now, that doesn't take your suffering away, does it? But you can know that God wants you to trust in him, 
That's always what he's wanted, is for you to trust in him, for, for us to trust him. And, and if you've never placed your trust or faith in him, then that's his call in your life today. We do that through Jesus, through the work that Jesus did by uh, laying his life down on the cross so we uh, can uh, re- accept the gift that he gave us and be forgiven. We put our trust in him, believing in him, turning our life towards living for his kingdom, be baptized into his name. And that's a journey towards God that God wants and that you and I need.